After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Uh, Lovely, do keep your Bibles open uh, at that point. There's the word glory. We're going to be looking at glory, what it is, uh, why Jesus prays for it, that the Father uh, indeed then would get glory himself. Uh, And that's all within John 17. We need God's help, uh, as we always do, um, to read his word and to understand it, for it to burn deep in our hearts, to apply it into life. So why don't we pause uh, and pray uh, for that now. Father, please, for the next 25 minutes or so, we ask that as we delve into your word, five verses in this chapter, uh, that uh, our trust, our confidence would be in um, your spirit to do its work. Father, wherever we are before you, uh, whether we trust in you as our Lord and Saviour, Uh, or we're looking into such things. Can we dare pray that you'd speak to us through your word and your spirit combined? Not that you'd fill us perhaps with more knowledge of you. Not just that, but that a knowledge of you would turn into a trust, confidence and assurance, a hope, a purpose for life. So that this week, might look different from last as we go and live for you and speak you to those that we know and love. And we ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. We spent uh, a lovely week away visiting some of my family up in northern Scotland. My sister lives up there. And I want to introduce you to a guy called uh, Jimmy McLeod. You'll see him uh, behind me on the screen. You'll have never heard of him. You won't know him. You will perhaps forget his name very quickly in the next few minutes. Uh, But we visited uh, a visitor centre. It's the kind of thing you do uh, with little children. Uh, I haven't done for about uh, 25 years of my life. Visitor centres are not really my thing. But now when there's visitor centres in the Cairngorm National Park, there's all sorts of good things to do. Jigsaw puzzles on the floor. Put your hand in a box, feel what's inside a fur cone uh, or a leaf or so on and so forth. You get the picture. Here's Jimmy McLeod. Read with me. He worked as a forester for 40 years, was head forester for 16 of them. The last head forester to work on the estate as a schoolboy watching the foresters walk down the road with their cross-cut saws. He couldn't wait to become one of them. Jimmy McLeod. 
And the reason why I took this picture was it was so refreshing for me in that moment. So refreshing. Jimmy wanted nothing more than to take a cross-cut saw and cut trees. Compare with this. An article in The Independent last year says this, more than half of teenagers do not want a career. They just want to be famous. In a survey of 1,016-year-olds um, in the UK, asked the question, what would you like to do for a career? 54% said this, to become a celebrity. Here's Jimmy McLeod, happy to cut trees all his life. 54% of our teenagers want to be famous. Here's what a philosopher asked on the subject commented. Fame is deeply attractive because it seems to offer very significant benefits. The fantasies go like this. When you are famous, wherever you go, your good reputation will precede you. People will think well of you because your merits have been impressively explained in advance. You will get warm smiles from admiring strangers. You won't need to make your own court case laboriously on each occasion. When you're famous, you'll be safe from rejection. You won't have to win over every new person. Fame will mean other people will be flattered and delighted, even if you are only slightly interested in them. They will be amazed to see you in the flesh. They'll ask to take a photo with you. They'll sometimes laugh nervously with excitement. Now, I'm certain the majority of us in the room don't want to be famous, although I can't say that. Uh, for, the, for the whole of us, of course. A and of course, this is a, a general sweep as well as the philosopher commented on why we want to be famous. It adds all those benefits. So it's an extreme. And it's general. But what does that look like for you in life? I seek approval from others. I can't help it. It's inbuilt. It's my desire to be liked by others, to fit in. I quite like being recognised. I want to be known. Do you know what I want to be remembered? As I make my mark here on this earth. Do you know what? Ultimately, I do seek my own glory. And the Bible calls it, Sin. I don't really want an existence like Jimmy McLeod, where only the trees will remember him. That's why John 17 is really key and crucial. If you are anything like me, in my description of myself, in ultimately seeking my own glory. John 17 demands that we take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on the Lord Jesus and we eavesdrop upon his prayer with his heavenly father. I must take a step back and stand in awe. Please take time in the next three weeks to read John 17. We hear Jesus talking about the importance of his glory. And then of the Father's glory. You know, five times just in the first five verses, this word glory is mentioned. And as we seek to take our eyes off ourselves and our desi 
desire, excuse me, to seek our own glory. So we see something of the greatness of the glory of the Lord Jesus who seeks to make the Father look glorious. That's our hope. We see something of the glory of the Lord Jesus and of the Father God. We grasp what it looks like to glorify him. And not to seek glory for ourselves, fame, recognition, seeking our own glory. And as we do that, hope that we'll see that glorifying God brings purpose for our lives. It brings hope and brings ultimate satisfaction. Let's go. Here's the context of John 17. From chapters 13 to 17... Jesus has been talking with his disciples, with his 12, with those who he's journeyed with uh, from the moment of his ministry beginning. Now, it's thought that they're still in the upper room, so it's known as the upper room discourse. Uh, So 13 to 17, uh, here they are, and you'll know of stories, perhaps, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He breaks bread with them as well. He talks about uh, what will come. Uh, of his death. And here in verse chapter 17, sorry, this is the capstone of all that Jesus has talked about. At the end of chapter 17, um, flip with me 18 verse 1, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and he crossed the Kidron Valley. And he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know the prayer that he prays then, just before He gets arrested and taken to trial and on to the cross. Chapters 13 to 17. Microcosm of Jesus' life and his ministry uh, on earth. And John records it for he was there. And it fits in as well as we make some of these uh, introductory remarks. It fits in to mention John's major theme. John 20 verse 30 to 31. Turn with me uh, a few pages, if you will. Always good to get the author's intent to understand what John had in his mind as he wrote this account, for he wrote it with a purpose. It wasn't just a mumble-jumble load of stories thrown together. There was intent, there was purpose in mind. John 20, verses 30 to 31, John records this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's reason for writing his book, his account of Jesus. Not that we would just get head knowledge, not that thousands of years later we would read this uh, and smile and think Jesus was a good man uh, with good morals, that taught us good things. These were written, says John, that you and I in Bista on the 28th of October 2018 may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. That's John's reason for writing everything that he does. He could have included so many more things, for Jesus performed many other signs, but this is John's account. And so I wonder as we read John 17 together, will the outcome be what John intends it to be? That we may believe 
truly trust that Jesus is who John says he is. The saviour of the world, we've just been singing about it. The son of God. And that by believing we may have life. Life in its fullness, as John mentions in another place. Life everlasting, as John mentions here. Life with purpose that John 17 is suggesting is to ultimately glorify God. So there are the introductions. Now we dive into John 17. I'm going to pull out three points. And look with me. We're going to take one on its own, verse one on its own, then two and three, and then verse four and five. A little bit like a sandwich. The mission of Jesus is the filling within the sandwich. And the glory of the Son and the Father is the bread, verses 1 and 4 and 5. And the mission of Jesus, verses 2 and 3, right at the heart of John 17, 1 to 5. Here's the first point, verse 1. Look at this with me. His relationship with the Father is revealed, and that brings our hope. Verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed. Significant that he looks to heaven. It's the posture of prayer. And he prays starting with the word Father. Here is already the relationship of Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father. Father signifies a loving relationship. The hour has Come, think about the time that you've heard that phrase. The hour has come. What for? In October 2000, there was a huge banner unfurled uh, upon the fort in Birmingham. Cometh the hour, dot, 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 and David Beckham's head after it. Cometh the man. As he sent England through uh, qualification against Greece, I think it was, with that free kick. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. Now that banner was in retrospect, it happened. So let's celebrate. Cometh the hour. Here's David Beckham. Hear Jesus' prayer. The hour has come. It's all in anticipation. Now glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Something big is about to happen. Look, we can read John's gospel. We know what that something big is. For verses two and three, we'll unpack it a little bit more. But here Jesus says, look, this is what's going to happen. Verses two and three. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Why does Jesus pray such a thing? You know, I spent the first three, four minutes looking at the ways that we glorify ourselves. Well, ultimately, I was talking about myself. Maybe you're nothing like me. And we talked about seeking glory for ourselves being a really selfish, sinful, self-centered thing to do. And yet, this is what Jesus prays. Glorify your son. He's saying... Adore, worship, exalt, elevate, praise, lift up. In this context specifically, it's to make much of. So Jesus is saying to the Father, make much of your Son. Father, make much of 
me, glorify me, exalt me, clothe me in splendor, raise me up to the rightful place in this hour of completion. The completion of the world's greatest rescue mission. Jesus wants to be glorified. Why? Well, look what his glorification ultimately does. It glorifies the Father so that your Son may glorify you. So that I may make much of you. So that in my work of salvation that we look at in a moment, so that when I complete in this hour that is coming, that I'll give people a glimpse of the real majesty and divine beauty, the worth of you, the Father. Here's the Son, the closest to the Father through the whole of time. He has always been. He's not a created being. He's always been. Interesting, I was sent a survey uh, this week from a friend. A survey recently um, to work out what evangelical Christians really believe. And in answering the statement, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God, 50% of people agreed. 37% of people didn't agree, and 13% disagreed. Let me read the statement again, see where you fit. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Only 13% disagreed. For the Bible teaches that Jesus, the Son, has always been. He's part of the Godhead. He was not a created being. It's so crucial that we get that right. And so see how the relationship between the Father and the Son has been revealed here. Jesus, the closest to the Father, for he has always been with his Father, is now able to say, glorify me, make much of me in this hour, this hour where I complete your mission, so that I may glorify you. Ultimate purpose of the Son. To make much of the Father as he achieves verses 2 and 3 for you and I. And why is this our hope? Why does this lead to hope? Well, his divinity is so crucial for you and I to get. It was only as God that his sacrifice would have infinite value. God's son to take away the sin of the world. Only God himself could do this. And in these chapters, verses chapters 13 to 17, we see the unity between the divinity of God, that Jesus is God, the son of God, And we see the Lord Jesus in his humanity, washing the feet of the disciples. 
And you see, his humanity is of crucial importance too as we go on to verses 2 and 3. Only as a sinless man could he achieve atonement for sinners. As a sinless man to take the substitutionary place of sinful men. Only God himself can take away the sin of the world. But only as a human being as a sinless man, could he achieve atonement for sinners? This is our hope. That the Son says now, raise me up. Raise me up because this is the hour that I most glorify you and people see you for who you really are. His relationship with the Father revealed is our hope. Look secondly with me, verses 2 and 3. His mission complete is our salvation. Verse 2, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Look at what Jesus is praying. You, Father, have given me authority over all people. That he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. So what is Jesus praying? He's praying that his father, the Lord of all, the Lord of salvation, he gives people to the son. That he may offer them eternal life. You see why we make prayer so crucial at Town Church Vista? We pray for the salvation of people. We pray for the salvation of those who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Do not think that we have the power to save people. Of course not. He is the Lord over all people. He is the Lord of salvation. The Lord over those whom he will give to the Son to offer them eternal life. Here's the process. I don't think we can get away from this. And it is a joy. His Father is sovereign in salvation. And He gives to the Son those who are being saved by His atoning work. And what does the believer do? Responds in repentance and faith. That's why we'll always say God is sovereign in salvation. It's His work. And yet it never undermines human responsibility. I'm going to say that God, the one of salvation, he was always after me. And the moment that I understood that was the moment that he gave me to the Lord Jesus to save by his atoning work, which meant that I had to trust in repentance and faith too. God, the Lord of salvation, sovereign in salvation, giving those whom are his to the Lord Jesus for his atoning work to take place so that I may respond in repentance and faith. To know that he was after me. To know that he loved me before the beginning of the world. To know that my card was marked. Those 22 years of rebellion and rejection, he was after me. And the God of salvation went to no stops to pull it off. So that in time my eyes were opened to repent in faith. And look what he does, he offers eternal life. See that? 
that he might give eternal life, the Lord Jesus might give eternal life to those that you're giving him. What is that? Eternal life here says it's, it's knowing God. It's knowing the only true God and his son. He says it's knowing. It's not an experience of place or people. Eternal life is, is not heaven. Of course it is. But here, Jesus is saying it's knowing God. That's what is on offer. A knowledge of God. That he calls us back to him so that we would know him ultimately. This is the time for Jesus to go to the cross. The mission of the true God complete. How precious life is. Eternal life. Know God. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Here's eternal life. That I would see him, that I would know him, that I would behold him and see his glory. That is eternal life. That's what the Lord Jesus has won for me. You know, life just goes on, doesn't it? Sometimes we feel like a trudge. On we go. Now and again, something happens and we go, no, 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 life's precious. It's precious. I was in Costa the other day in Bista. An old lady in absolute joy. Hey, Bill, I thought you were dead. It must have been the other one. And she ran over to him as fast as her little legs would carry her. Massive hug. As Bill, you can imagine, pretty flummoxed, uh, stood there just ordering a caramel latte at the counter. Do you know what? Just in a moment you see life, the preciousness of life. And here's the Lord Jesus. He said, here's mission complete. To offer eternal life. Bogged down, trudging through life very often. Raise your game. And I would raise my eyes and say, this is what the Lord Jesus has done for me. This is what he's done. He offers me eternal life, which is bringing me back to God. Which is to see something of his wonderful glory. And I just don't quite get it. So look at verses 4 and 5 with me. His full identity restored. It is our joy. Verses 4 and 5. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Hey, he repeats himself. Verse 1, remember we said it was a mission sandwich. Verse 1, Jesus prays for the glory connected with the cross. The hour has come. And it is echoed here in verse 4. And verse 5, Jesus prays for the glory in connection with his exaltation. That the Lord Jesus would be brought back to his rightful place. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had. Glory is ultimate worth and infinite beauty. That's the definition of glory here. Jesus is saying, glorify me in your presence with the ultimate worth and infinite beauty I had with you before the world began. Remember we talked about the Trinity. We talked about the Godhead. We talked about Jesus being with his Father because he was God. We're going to take communion. And we're going to remember 
this eternal life to what he's called us to. And we're going to try and somehow in the next three weeks work out exactly what glory has got to do with it. As Jesus seeks the glory from the Father to glorify his Father, so what does it look like to live a life that is not wasted? Some of you have been reading, uh, we have as a church been reading John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. That's what John Piper says. Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross, cherish it for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. I'm left with the question, why do I seek my own glory? When the glory of the Lord Jesus has been seen at the cross, and the cross happens for you and I to be brought back to God, where we will see his glory. And do you know what that will do us for eternity? <laughs> there won't be a moment we'll be fed up. There won't be a moment we'll be gutted. There won't be a moment we'll be bored. There won't be a moment when we'll say, oh, and what next? We'll know him more. We'll see him more. We'll stand in his presence, in his glory, and we will marvel. So why don't we sing, and then as we go into communion, uh, we're going to ask a couple of questions uh, of ourselves to see why we don't live a life like, remember his name? Nah, you don't. And that's the point. Oh, I knew there would be one teacher. Well done, Jen. Jimmy McLeod. A life that says, Lord, this is life. This is what you created me to do. I'm going to seek your glory. I don't know if Jimmy was a Christian. don't know if he sought to glorify God as he cut down trees. Do not know. What does it look like to waste life as we seek glory for ourselves and don't glorify God who's given us eternal life? Why don't we stand and sing this song together? <laughs>